So let's let's start. So for again, verse twenty-five, Vayitzav Yosef. So again, let's just review what, what's happening over here. The Jew, the brothers have visited Yosef. They don't recognize him. Yosef recognizes them, and we know he has a plan. We know there is some reason behind his charade, and we're going to be breaking down the charade step by step passage by passage and try to make sense of the charade in light of what we're reading. Uh, there are some fabulous theories, but we want to make sure they fit with the text and fit with our mind. So we know the first thing Yosef does is he accuses them of being what? Of being spies, right? And they try to defend themselves. And last week we went through this dialogue back and forth until he says, the only way you will not prove yourself, but at least give some extra validity to your claim is if you go bring that younger brother that you claim to have. So what does he do? He uh, takes Shimon, one of the brothers, and jails him, sends the rest of them home, and, and they are going to go home, and they're supposed to bring back Binyamin, and if they don't, then he's not going to take them back. And we spoke about the three possible reasons that he's doing this, and we'll see as time goes on, perhaps even a, a fourth. But the first reason that he could be doing this to them, which is you don't find in traditional sources, but some suggest is Yosef is just trying to exact revenge against his brothers. He is mad, he is upset, and he's just driving them crazy. The nice and then the angry, the kind and then the, and then the brazen, all of that is part of one long mind game, right? There's nothing more confusing than the person who's nice to you a second now and then a second later is mean. That perhaps, that's one way of looking at this, that it's just revenge. Again, our classical commentators reject that idea out of hand. But it's, it's something which we have to think about as we go along. We'll see if it has any validity at all. The second possibility, which was mentioned, was the idea of testing them, that he wanted to see where they stand. Do they now like him, right? Last time they saw him, they tried to kill him. So he wants to test them. Are we now able to get along or not? And he's it's essentially a test. And alternatively, and similar, but alternatively, it is really a matter of repentance. He is trying to construct something that Barbanel sees Yosef as almost playing God over here. Um, he is trying to test that. He's trying to create a scenario where they will be forced to repent or at least give them the opportunity to repent. And he'll see if in a very similar scenario to his early story, Will they now make the right choice or will they once again go down that wrong path? We mentioned another theory, I'm sorry that I forgot now, but that of Yosef trying to play out his dreams, right? This is a very important theory, which we'll come back to. Yosef right now could be, again, Yosef had two very important dreams. One, that all the brothers come down bowing to him, right? So this actually fits very nicely at this point, at this juncture. What's he doing? Well, only 10 brothers came. I need 11 for that fulfillment of the dream. So what does he do? He goes and calls for Binyamin. Right? And then we'll see if that, so this, another theory is that it's not about repentance. It's not about revenge. It's about fulfilling the prophetic dreams that he had. And he's trying to make those dreams come true, as we say. And he's manipulating them to ensure the fulfillment of his dream. Again, we'll have to question that A in the text and B philosophically if this is an appropriate approach. So let's just quickly summarize. We have the approach that we're rejecting, at least in classical commentators, that it's revenge. Yosef is just trying to get back at them. To me, the text doesn't add up to that at all, but I'll point out when, I, when, when, when that's clear. The other approach is, is that either Yosef is trying to test them, similarly, he is trying to create a scenario for repentance, or he is trying to act out and fulfill the dreams that he had. Yes? Why does it have to be, Why can't it be a combination? Okay, that's true. It could be some form of a combination between all of these different things. Certainly, the idea of repentance and testing them certainly go hand in hand. If they repent then now they're going to be on good terms, right? If, if they've really changed, then they're going to be on good terms. That, that certainly would make sense. Benjamin is his true brother. Yes, full brother, yes. Maybe he's 
worried that they did something to him like they did to him. To him. So they want to make sure that his brother is safe. Okay, right. So, right. so, excellent. So, right. So, it could be some test. Excellent. So, it could be a test not about him. Maybe he's given up on his relationship with the brothers. Maybe it's just trying to make sure that they will take care of Benjamin. They're not going to harm Benjamin, and he's bringing them all here to test them. That's a that's a good additional theory that we could add to the mix. I like that. Okay. So let's let's now jump in. So the last thing we read, the brothers come again. Yosef sends most of them away, keeps Shimon with them, and now what does Yosef do? As they're leaving again, they come to buy a large stock of grain. What does he do? Vayitzav Yosef verse. 25, Yosef commands, Vayimalu es klehem bar. And he, he constructs his, his officers, his workers, to fill them up, fill up their, their vessels, their bags with grain. Ulahashiv kaspeyem ish el sako. And in addition, he doesn't just give them the grain that they purchased, he gives them their money back. Okay? So in their mind, this is obviously very confusing if you find the money that you brought back in your bag. Right? Certainly uh, makes it for a nice, crazy story. The revenge version, this is very exciting. Like, this is like, what? What's going on over here? We'll have to understand it from the other perspectives. We'll keep on reading. And he gives them some extra. So they have what to eat. And they do exactly that. Okay. Let's see what happens. Um, they lift up their, their belongings, they lift up their bags on their donkeys, and they go from there. When they go and they stop, right? It's a long, tra- long journey. They're traveling with a lot of grain. They start traveling and they stop along the way. One of them opens his bag to feed his donkey. And what happens? And he finds the money that he gave. It's sitting there at the, right at the top of his bag of grain. Something's wrong over here, right? He finds the money that he gave to, to Yosef right there in his bag. Vayomer el Echav, he turns to his brother and says, Hushav Kaspi, my brother, uh, sorry, uh, he says to his brothers, my money has been returned. Vigam hinevam tachti, it's in my bag. Vayetze libam, their heart goes out. Vierherdu ish el achiv lemar, and they tremble once the other saying, Mazos asa elokim lanu. What did God do to us? Now, it's interesting. Remember, this is not the first time they asked this question or acknowledge God's hand. If you recall last week, when they stood in front of Yosef and all of a sudden things weren't working out well, what did they say? What did they tell themselves? Remember? Sorry? God is punishing us, right? They realize, right? They're, they're religious people. They're, they're devout people. They're people who think about God. Things are really being, things are not working out for them. And they say, it must be that this is a punishment. It must be that this is a punishment for what we did. And the true, right? So they, they see the writing on the wall, so to speak, as they say, right? They see the writing on the wall. They recognize that what's happening to them is because they did something wrong. And actually, when you start to think about it, the pieces are actually aligned quite well, right? What did they, why did they not like their brother? What did Yo- why did they not like Yosef? They're jealous, but th- that's deep down. What did they think? What were, they, what were they upset? What was Yosef doing to them? He was lording over them. And what else? He was? The favorite. He was the favorite. What was he doing to them? That's all stuff that... that they would, sorry? That, that's what he told them. But what, what he was doing, our commentators say, and we, read, we saw this earlier, he was tattletailing on them. Do you remember that, right? He basically speaking negatively. He sees what they're doing. And what does he do? He goes and tells Yaakov. Another word for that, and perhaps a more sophisticated version of that is spying. Right? He is spying on his brothers. Well, interesting. We're being accused as being 
Spies. Okay. What happens next? Then they go and they sell him as a, he ends up being sold as a, they, he's threatening to, to kill them. They know they could die, right? So far it makes sense. This fits with what we did wrong. And then he takes Shimon as a slave, which is exact, which also kind of aligns with what they did wrong, right? They sold him as a slave, right? But it's at this, so if that's the case, then at, at this point, why are they bewildered? They should just say, oh, this is because of what we did. But now they're questioning, what did we do over here? What's wrong? Why is God punishing us? A moment ago, they said, I know why God's punishing us. But now they're questioning. Now they're wondering what's going on. The Sforno suggests that they saw them selling him as a slave as actually a positive thing, right? Meaning, in other words, everything that happened in Egypt, they're like, oh, this all fits with what we did. But the truth is the sale was actually, they thought, if you recall, when we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, maybe months ago by now, that they thought Yosef really should die. And they were compassionate. They said, we're not going to kill him. We'll sell him as a slave. In their eyes, that was a good deed. The money, right? When they got that money that they per- that from, from selling him as a slave, that was a good deed. They didn't do it. In their minds, they thought they were being righteous. We're so kind. We're not going to kill the man who's deserving of death. We're just going to sell him. And now there's this money piece. And now they say, wait, this doesn't make sense. We're innocent when it comes to that piece. Right? Do you, do you appreciate what's going on over here? In other words, they are clearly very devout people. And everything that's happening to them, they see God's hand. And that's why immediately when bad things are happening, they see it. They see the direct lines connecting this to the story of Yosef. But it comes to this point. They say, wait, this part of the story, this was when we did well. Why are we? But clearly there's a punishment with money. We didn't do anything. Mahashem, so that's what they're asking over here, perhaps. They're saying, Mazos lanu. This we don't understand. This doesn't fit with our understanding of our sin. Right? So they're a little confused at this point. That's how some of the commentators understand this. Yes, Mark? I was just mulling over something. That basically, when they sold him, they were actually stealing because he wasn't theirs to sell. That's true. That's true. So here, they're getting money and they're saying, oh, it's stealing because... Interesting. Interesting connection, right? Ultimately, right? Who are we to sell anybody, right? That, that's, that's a fair point. Certainly not their brother. I mean, but anybody, right? Okay. That's an interesting, or it's an interesting correlation. Okay. So now we're, now, now we're, we're going to zoom back into, into um, back to Canaan. And I want us to focus on three different things as we, uh, really two themes. One is the state of mind of Yaakov. We want to better understand where's Yaakov at this point? What's he thinking? How's he acting? And get a better understanding of Yaakov. The second piece is really the big picture of this entire narrative, which I keep on trying to bring us back to. It it's not the story about Yosef. It's not. Although we think of it as, as such, and, it, and it's a good title. It's a story about succession. It's a story about an aged patriarch and a question of who is going to take over, right? We saw there's a whole bunch of candidates, right? There is, and we saw them all, you know, uh, jockeying for their position, right? Narrative number one, when they get back to Canaan, Yaakov is old, Ruvain steps in and does something. Then Shimon and Levi step in and do something. And then we read a story about Yehuda. These are actually an age, in order of their ages, in terms of these would be their natural leaders. And all of them are involved in different episodes, right? All of them were involved in different things that they did. And that gave us insight as to whether or not Yaakov will think, or we will think, that they are worthy successors to Yaakov. So over here in this narrative, the third, the, there's Ruvain. Again, we go in, in order. We know Yosef's out of the picture. He's, as far as they're concerned, out of the picture. We're, we're watching Yosef to see if he's going to make a good leader. They don't even know he's there. Who's left? There is Ruvain. Who's after him? Who's, next, who's born next after Ruvain? Shimon. Where's Shimon? 
He's in jail right now, right? There is Levi, okay? And then there is Yehuda, okay? So those would be the people we want to keep our eyes on and see if any of them step up in any way and get a sense of who they are. And again, we have to, we're, we're, we're assessing whether they're going to be a good successor for Yaakov. Okay, so let's, let's, let's keep all that in mind. He is, he is in the picture. He's in our picture. He's not in Yaakov's picture as far as Yaakov. But we certainly, yes, absolutely. One thing we have to be asking ourselves as we read all these stories, who should be the successor? If we were to vote, who should be the successor? Is it Ruvain? Is it Shimon? Is it Levi? Is it Yehuda? Is it Yosef? Those are really the only candidates we know anything about. Everyone else kind of clearly is not a candidate because they didn't really apply. We don't hear any stories about them, so they're not in the, in the running. But Reuben, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda are the four oldest in, in, in the Leah family. The others are the daughters of the, of the Shvachos, the maidservants. They're, they're not seen with the same, as, as this, in the same prestige. So really it falls back to Yosef and Benjamin, and Yosef's really the only one we know anything about. So yeah, we're going to have to make that assessment. So let's jump in. What happens then when he, that's a good question. We'll see a little bit right now about what happens and how he was treated during this time. We'll see, we'll see a little bit of a glimpse into that as we read these verses. Let's jump in now. Verse Chavtes, 29, we're on the bottom of page 236. They come to Yaakov, their father, Arza Kanan, the land of Kanan. And uh, they tell him all the things that happened. The man of the land, meaning the man who was in charge of the land, spoke to us harshly. And he made us as if or like spies. It's interesting, their, you know, their, their, their choice of words. It should say, they, he made us out to be spies. Kimaraglim means like spies. They weren't teenagers who throw the word like in to their sentences. What does it mean when they're saying like spies? So the commentators suggest that they are trying to be sensitive to Yaakov's age and his frailty. And so you'll see they, they kind of belittle a little bit. They temper a little bit of the harshness that Yosef came across with. He says that he thought we, maybe we were spies, right? Like spies, not full-fledged spies. They're trying to belittle it. They're trying to soften the blow because, again, Yaakov, we're getting a little bit of insight, Yaakov is old, he's frail, and he's already at wit's end because of the loss of his beloved son, Yosef, which we know he's still grieving. So they're trying to be very sensitive to Yaakov. Okay, we told him, we are honest people. We are never spies. We are twelve brothers. the child of our father. One is gone. And the youngest is with our father in the land of Canaan. And he said to us, Excuse me, with this I will know that you are honest. Leave one brother with me. And the, the great need, the starving, you know, the Ravon Batechem, which means the, the, the things that will supply for the starvation of your household, take and go. Now they've changed two details here, again, subtly. First of all, did Shimon, did he say, leave Shimon with me? No. He took Shimon, he took them all, and he only let them all go and left Shimon with him, right? And he's making it seem like he said, you know, just leave Shimon with me. Again, not making him out as harsh as he actually was. The second they put him out, they make him out to be more compassionate. He just gave them the food and said, go back home. He, the way the words they put in his mouth is ra'avon batechem, the, the, the food which supplies for the starvation of your family, as if he was compassionate for the needs of the family, which he may have been, but we didn't find him expressing that. Again, they're trying to paint a slightly rosier picture of this 
Egyptian, you know, lord, um, so as to soften the blow to their father. Okay, so we see their sensitivity over here. We see them kind of tiptoeing around Yaakov, trying not, again, this is obviously a very, very challenging message they're giving him. One of our sons, one of our brothers is back there, and the only way we're getting more food is if your precious son comes with us. This is not easy. So they're doing whatever they can to give him the story, but also soften it as much as they can. Okay. Right, exactly. Uh, excellent, right? So good point, right? And it's not only about, I'm going to repeat that. Yeah, it's not only about, Irma's suggesting, and I, I absolutely I couldn't agree more. It's not only about um, making sure he hears this information and he's calm with it, but also to pave the way that Yaakov will be more comfortable sending Yosef, uh, sending Binyamin, because they're saying, oh, he's not that bad of a guy. So, you know, you could send Binyamin. It's going to be okay, even though it wasn't exactly that way. Which one or ones of the brothers is saying all we don't, at this point, we don't know. So they're speaking as a mass. We don't know. And when the church, that's a good, a good point. We'll see when we have specific people speak up, and we'll see when, when they speak as a group, but we, the Torah doesn't think it's important enough to let us know who. At this point, the Torah doesn't tell us who. It's just them. The brothers are speaking as one. Yes, ma'am. Um, if we go back to our conclusions about Yosef, and we discussed him even as a child, why they would hate him, like I said, he was the he was so much sharper than all of them and so much ahead of himself in thinking, you know, and planning and everything. He was like, he was the brother everybody loved to hate. Right. So if you move forward now, I think it's very, I don't understand why the Taylor's was it. Ibn Ezra says he's not getting uh, revenge. This all seems so thought out to me. If you picture Yosef saying, look what they did to me. I'm going to just set them up in such a massive confusion here. Right. Such conflict, such confusion. They, but, but he had compassion and sent them immediately with grain. He didn't say, I'm not going to give you grain until you bring the brother back. He made sure to send them back with food. Okay. But at the same time, he set up this whole drama where they're like, they're pawns, and he's been, okay. So, yeah. so you're suggesting a slight variation on the revenge version. The meaning, the classic revenge version is Yosef is just cold blooded and full of anger and revenge. You're pointing out maybe we could give him a more human touch, let's call it, and say yes, this is revenge, but he is constantly in conflict with his own inner feelings for them. And it could be, it could be, you know, again, as, you know, we'll see, let's hold off on that one thing already, one indication, again, this doesn't undermine what you're saying, it just complicates it. We saw immediately when he hears them speaking, what, is the, what does he do? What does he do when he hears them say, oh, we're guilty because we sold our brother? What does he do? He cries, he weeps, right? He immediately weeps. And we're going to see him crying and crying and crying. So that, that doesn't take away, it doesn't completely undermine, but it just certainly says that there is certainly some emotion there that he's certainly feeling. So I hear what you're saying. Maybe it's just confused. It's not yeah. cold-blooded revenge, but it's cold-blooded revenge mixed together with... Uh, okay, so let, let's, let's hold on. Let's see. Let's see as we continue if, if this adds up. Okay, so Pasuk Lamedal. So again, he, they're still talking for this man. They don't know who he is. Again, Yosef. And he says, and this man told us to bring your younger brother. And I will know that you're not spies. That you're really being honest. Then I'll give you your brother back. And you'll be able to purchase whatever you want from the land of Egypt.
And then after they finish telling this to their father, they're all emptying out their own bags. And each person finds their money, right? Initially, only one person found his money. Now they all find their money, meaning this was clearly deliberate. If it's one person, okay. It's scary. It's weird. But now clearly this was deliberate. They saw the money pouches. And their fathers, and they were scared. So Yaakov, their father, says, Osi, she counts them. You have bereaved me. Okay? You have bereaved me. Yosef einenu. Vishimon einenu. Yosef is gone. Shimon is gone. This Binyamin tikachu. And Binyamin you will take as well. Alai hayu chulana. Upon me it is all fallen. Now it's interesting that he lumps it all together. And this leads some, he says, Yosef's not here, and Shimon's not here, and Benjamin, you're taking, it almost sounds like, as some commentators assume, that Yosef, again, keep in mind from the, where we discussed this earlier. What did Yaakov think? Brothers come home with the ripped up garment. Was Yaakov, and Yaakov says, it must be a wild animal, ripped him up. As we pointed out when we read that, it was a very awkward passage. And it almost sounds like Yaakov had a decent amount of suspicion as to what actually happened to Yosef. He wasn't completely sold. There was something almost overwhelmingly awkward and, and unrealistic about the give and take. It almost sounded like they were reading from a script. It was like, oh my, it must be a wild animal. You know, there's just something, if you recall then, there was something a little bit off. They said, oh, please recognize this. They didn't run in saying, Yosef died, Yosef died. The whole thing was a little bit almost forced, which lends some to believe that Yaakov all along was rather suspicious of the brothers. And that seems like what he's saying over here. Yosef's gone. Shimon's gone, and now you, the brothers who keep on coming back with one less brother, you want to take Benjamin? Mm-mm, something's wrong over here. So there's some accusatory undertones to what's happening over here. Yosef's gone, Shimon's gone, and you are taking Benjamin. He's basically saying, sounds like he's implying, you have taken them all, and I'm afraid you're going to take one more for me. Right? So it's not just that he's afraid to send Benjamin away. He's afraid to send Benjamin away with you, the brothers, who seemingly are eliminating other brothers along the way. Trust a big time, understandably. Right. Yeah. Now, okay, so now we understand. So we learned a little bit about Yaakov. We learned that he is a little bit, we learned a little bit that he is a little bit frail and a little, the, the brothers are trying to tiptoe around that, a little bit anxious. We also learned that he perhaps is a little bit suspicious of all of the brothers. Yes? Who's left? Who's left? It's a game of Survivor, right? You know, right? That show? Uh, there's, right? So basically, who's left, right? And basically, that's what it is, right? They're eliminating the potential leaders over here. Yosef's gone. Shimon's gone. Benjamin's the other one from the, love fam- the beloved wife, right? So, yeah, who's left? But let's see. Let's see. Exactly. Now let's, let's focus on who's left. So, Vayomer Ruven. Ruven speaks up. Elaviv Lamer to his father saying, As Shnei Vanai Tamis, my two sons will die. Imloa Vienu Lachav, I don't bring him back. Tanauso al-Yadi, give me Binyamin, vani ashivenu elacha, and I will bring him back to you. That is what Ruvain says to his father. What do you think? It's children. That's true. So either, I don't know, either he's totally confident that he'll bring right. Binyamin back, like totally without a doubt, or else there's something that he's willing to sacrifice his own children. <laughs> right, right. But you wonder about his whole worldview. Right, 
So yeah, absolutely. So we're gonna give him the benefit of the doubt that he's not doesn't he's not flipping about his kids. And he certainly sounds very confident. Um, if you were to pick any analogy of extremism that you want to impress upon Yaakov, your father, right now, what would be the one analogy or one thing you would pick not to go next to? Your two sons, my two sons will die. Oh my gosh, right? If you have to pick any, first of all, my son. Correct. Lord. Two things. Right, exactly. For the whole thing that Yaakov is grieving over is the fact that he's missing two sons. Yaakov, I will, you'll lose two more of your children, your grandchildren, if I don't come back. There's something almost tactless. You know, the Ramban, it's worth pointing out, the Ramban points out that it, it doesn't, it's not to be taken literally, obviously it's not to be taken literally. It's almost a way of taking an oath, right? It's way, basically a way of saying, you know, by, by, by God, you know, it's like I'm, I'm taking something very important to me, like we hold a safer Torah. He's saying, by the life of my children, right? That's really what he's saying. But still, of all analogies he could have chosen, it's so tactless. It's so off-putting. I understand that it fits nicely, but it's so off-putting to invoke the death of two children in the context of the children that already are gone. It just seems very off. At the same time, he's giving up the mantle of leadership because if he doesn't have any sons and he's made the leader, who's he going to pass it on to? Okay, that's, that's, okay. That, that's a good point. There's a certain selflessness that's being, that's being mentioned. You know, I can be counter and do this. I'm good, good, excellent, okay. Excellent. Let's, let's see how, good. Let's keep on reading. Let's see, let's see what else he says and what else others say. Vayomer Yaakov says, Lo No, my son's not going with you. Ki achiv meis, his brothers died. Vuhu he's the only one left. Ukra'ahu ason baderech a tragedy will happen to him on the way. And this is a recurring theme, if you actually think about it. Um, his family, they don't do well with traveling. Who's their mother? Their mother is Rachel. Where does she die? Baderech, on the way. Yosef, if you take the story at face value, from Yaakov's perspective, died on the way, right? So he's afraid, Benjamin, you're staying home. I'm not letting you go on the way. We call it superstitious. Yeah, it's hard to relate. I mean, he lost his beloved wife and his beloved son because of the journey. He's keeping things away from going on the journey, on the path. He says, you'll take my white head down to the grave, to, to, to the darkness of the grave and sorrow. I don't want you to do so. But interestingly enough, what does he say? He says, um, What does he call Benjamin? My son. It's an interesting term. I mean, they're all, he's speaking to whom? His other sons. Right? It's almost if he's saying, it's like there's, there's a little bit of a disconnect or almost a distance between Yaakov and his other sons by saying, my son, right? It, there's a certain, it, it's a funny, you know, sometimes when, when a child misbehaves, like, you know, honey, your son is acting crazy, right? So, you know, so, well, so hopefully it's a joke, right? But, but ultimately, it's, it's distancing yourself from, you know, from your relationship. So if he's speaking to, if I turn to my other children, I say, my daughter, and I'm speaking about one of them, and they're all my daughters, there's a certain this distance. Baby, this, this is good. I understand it, but it's very differently about Yeah, I, I get it. But again, there's a lot of history here about him and his younger children over here. So he's continuously going down that route, right? We, you know, what is, how does Yaakov learn from what happened with Yosef? He's still treating Binyamin differently than the others. He's, how old is Binyamin here? Um, he's not so young. Um, he has children already at this point. So he's not considered a not. He's not a he's not a little kid. He's not a little okay. kid. Yeah, no, he's an adult with, with children. We'll see we'll see later. He has children already at this point. Okay. So let's see what happens. So that, that's the end of the conversation, and now we begin a new chapter, which um, again is not the Torah doesn't begin a new chapter, but that's that's the way it's grouped. Uh, and really some time has gone by. 
Varav Kavi Baaretz, the famine is still increases in the land. Vayhi, and it was Kasher Kilu Lechol Sashever. They they finished eating their food. Asher Heviyum Mitzrayim, which they brought from Egypt. Vayomer Aleim Avihem, and their father said to them, Shuvu Shivru Lanu Maat Ochel, go and get some food for us. Okay, um, Yaakov is. Um, you know, they need food. They need food. Okay. Um, let's keep on reading. Now, Ruvain is done. Let's see how Yehuda fares. Yehuda speaks up. He reviews the story. He says, the man testified, meaning he said firmly that you cannot see me unless the brother is here. If you send him, we will go get food. And if you don't, we will not go down. I will not be able to see, you will not see my face unless your brother is with you. So let's think about what Yehuda just said. Okay? What did Yehuda say? Yehuda said, okay, if you send, the only way that we're going to get food is if we have Binyamin with us. If you, Yaakov, send Binyamin with us, great. And if not, we won't go. What did he just do? He, he took the whole leadership, he gave him ultimatum, but he also gave him a choice. In other words, and we saw this already with Ruvain earlier. Ruvain said, this is what we're going to do. Listen to Yehuda's tact. Yehuda is a very strategic and thought out leader. What he does is, he says, these are the options which one are we going to do? This is your options. What do you want to do? Right? He's not saying, we need to do this. Then Yaakov says, I don't want to do this. He said, Yaakov, Abba, these are the options. If we take Benyamin, we can get the food you want. If we don't take Benyamin, we don't get the food. It's in your court. Right? He moves the conversation. It's not about him. It's not about the brothers arguing with Yaakov. Yaakov, Abba, you have all the authority. We are going to listen to you. These are the options. Tell us what to do. Changes the conversation. Right? When you move the conversation back to the person asking the question, um, as he cleverly does, it changes the conversation. Right? And so he does. And he actually, even more cleverly, begins with the positive. He says, if we go, we'll get the food. If you don't just use it, then we won't get the food. Right? But he basically has moved it all into Yaakov's court and has done so in a very, and starts off on a positive note. He's not done. Vayomru, and he said, Vayomru Yisrael, Lamahari osem li, lahagi ach. So Yaakov speaks up and he says, why? Why did you do this to me? Why were you so bad to tell him that you had a brother? What were you thinking? Yeah? So Yaakov starts complaining to them. And why is he called Israel all of a sudden when he's been called Yaakov all of a sudden? It's a good question. It seems like there is some, something's about to change. Which was, we'll see. There's a good question. Excellent. Whenever it switches, Yaakov, Yisrael, Yaakov, Yisrael, usually Yisrael has a more elevated name. And this cry almost triggers something different. Let's see, let's see how they respond to him. Vayomru, and they say, who's they? We don't know. It means all the brothers. Okay, all the brothers speak up and say, Sha'al, Sha'al ha'ishlanu, ulamateinu leymar. The man asked from us. He asked us about our upbringing. He asked about our family. He asked if your father is still alive. If you have a brother. We told him. He asked us these questions. Did we have any way of knowing? It never crossed our mind. It's like you ask someone, you know, uh, you know, do you have family? I have family. Bring them here. Well, are you crazy? It never crossed their mind. So, of course, we share this information with him. Fine. Who, so who said that? The brother said that, right? So, again, Yaakov or Yisrael is crying. He's saying, why do you do this? And they answer, we did this because we, he asked us a question and we didn't know any better. We told the truth. We told the truth. But Yehuda, 
clearly gives a different answer. Vayomer Yehuda Yisrael Aviv. Yehuda then speaks up. The brother is the ones who first responded. Now Yehuda speaks up. And he says, Shilchan Ariti, send him with me. Vinakuma Vinelecha will get up and will go. Vinichya, we will live. Again, the positive. Vlonamus, and we will not die. Gamanachnu, Gamata, Gamtapenu. If we don't, we're going to die. You're going to die. And our children are going to die. Okay? Anochi Erevenu Miyadi Tivakshenu. I will take full responsibility. Imlo Haviyosi Vilecha Vitsakti Lufanecha. If I don't. Take, uh, bring him and stand him in front of you. I will be guilty to you all of my life. Had we not hesitated already, we could have been back twice by now. Stop arguing. We're wasting all of our time. You've all been there before. We could have done this already twice. Yaakov Yud is saying to him. Um, and therefore, okay. And therefore we could have returned twice. So let's just go back again and appreciate what Yehuda just did again. Let's just think a big picture over here. I'm sorry. I know this is not the most exciting part of the narrative, but I want you to appreciate the, the, the greatness of Yehuda in this story, which is what I want to argue. They come home. They tell the story. And Yaakov says, this is terrible. What does Reuven do? Let's go. Give me, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, he takes full responsibility. He says, I'm full responsibility. There's beautiful. There's confidence. He says, let's go. Right? Yehuda doesn't speak up then. Yehuda waits. And he waits. And he waits. And they're starving. And finally, Yaakov says, no, I need some food. Yudah speaks up. He says, okay, Abba, tell us what to do. These are our options. Either do this, and we go back and we get the food. Do this, and we don't go back and we don't get the food. Tell us what to do. And Yaakov complains. And Yaakov says, what were you thinking? And everyone else says, well, this is what we were thinking. But Yehuda is much brighter than that, right? Sometimes people ask a question. You have to ask yourself, what are they really asking? What are they really getting at, right? The brothers hear Yaakov say, what were you thinking? And they defend themselves. They get defensive. They say, this is what we did. But Yehuda's bigger than that and he's better than that. He's not going to get defensive. He knows what's going on over here. Yaakov's in pain. It's a cry. It's a rhetorical question. It's not a real question. And therefore, Yaakov, Yehuda ignores the question entirely. He doesn't address the question of why did we do this? He says, Abba, this is the story. Right? He doesn't, go back to what Yehuda says, send him with me. He doesn't even address the question because he knows it's not about the question. He knows Yaakov's just in pain. And there is no answer to that question. All he could do is evoke from Yaakov even more emotions. So listen to what he says to him this time around. He says, first he speaks with confidence, like Reuven did just without the tactless usage of sons. He says, send him with me. It's my responsibility. But then he says, we need this because if we don't, we are going to die. Your entire family is going to be wiped out, right? And he lays it on heavy. And then he says, and Yaakov, we're just waiting for your call, right? Kiluli manu. Had we not waited, we're waiting for you. I gave you the choice. We all gave the choice. We're waiting. It's your responsibility. You get to choose. If you don't, we all die. You know, if you say not to go, we're all going to die. If you do go, we're going to live and I take full responsibility. Do you see how Yehuda very cleverly and tactfully has shot, thrown everything at Yaakov and I think a pretty masterful speech. Whereas Ruvain jumped in immediately before there was any need, Yehuda waits until there's a moment of desperation. If you don't have something troubling you, it's not going to help. Clearly Yaakov has not moved yet to go run back and get Shimon, which says something about his relationship with the brothers and Shimon. But that wasn't enough. And Ruvain just said, let's go. And what do we know about Ruvain? What he is, as we'll see, it's spelled out later, he is impetuous. He, he's very quick. That's not the best sign for a leader. A leader needs to have a little bit of patience, a little bit of wisdom, which takes time to think and reflect. So Yehuda waits. 
You don't wait till there's a real need. Ah, now you need something? He goes in for the kill. And he does so not by pushing Yaakov around, by putting full responsibility, giving all the options open to Yaakov, but laying it out in crystal clear language. Yaakov, it's your choice. Whatever you do, you do. I'll take full responsibility if you go with this path. If you don't, the consequences are death. Please tell us what to do. It's either or. But do you hear? Right. It's either or. But the ta- again, I just want, I see this passage, is, it's a passage that I, so many years I've glossed over, but I think it's worth just reflecting on, I think, the leadership skills um, and the communication skills that Yehuda has. And so as we're thinking about the big picture about succession, we see Reuven acting quickly, firmly, but quickly, and Yehuda, not just in terms of the timing, but also his his method is really very, very different. And as we see, as well as about to see, far more effective. Yes? I wonder what Yosef is thinking all this time. He should have been back by now. A couple of times. I'm sure. I'm sure. Make a mistake. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. We, don't, we never find that out. Do we? we don't. We don't know what he's thinking. That's absolutely right. Okay, so let's just wrap up this passage and we'll pick, uh, let's wrap up this passage. Yisrael, and again, it's Yisrael, as you pointed out. This is the beginning of the change. Things are yet to go in a good direction. So we, he's called by his more elevated name. Fine, let's do that. Right? He steps in. He was kind of invited. He, he, he got the pump-up speech from Yehuda. He recognizes it's on him, and he takes the bait. He jumps in. This is what we're going to do. Take from the fruit of the land in your uh, vessels. Bring him a, a, a tribute. Ma'at tzari, u'ma'at devash, nechos, velot, batnim, ushkedim, balm, honey, gum, latinum, pistachio nuts, and almonds. He says, bring a tribute. Which, by the way, right? It seems like a pretty, I don't know, cheapy uh, candy dish from like the candy store, right? I mean, this is a pretty funny tribute you're bringing to the king of Egypt. Why are they bring him such a bizarre yeah, pistachio nuts and, and almonds? I mean, this seems like so funny. I mean, this is connected with starvation somehow. They're willing to give up something that's very precious. Okay, they're willing to give up something precious to them. That's fair. That's fair. Any other thoughts? There's some who theorize. There's some who theorize that they are that these are very special things in the land of Israel. They're unique to the land of Israel, so they might be small, but they are unique. So that could be it. But one way uh, the Malbim suggests that uh, what they're doing over here is they're trying. They want. They're trying to find a good balance. If they show up with a tremendous gift, what are they doing? They're bribing him. They're bribing him, right? So they want to do something right. If you know, sometimes giving too nice of a gift, right? Someone does something nice to you, and you want to thank them, right? If you give them an over-the-top gift, you've basically just paid them for what they did. That's not so nice either, right? So what you do is you give them something meaningful, but not over the top, right? There's this balancing act. So it's similar over here. They don't want to be seen as trying to bribe him because that would be inappropriate. They want to give him something, so some gesture. You know, these are nice flowers, basically. It's a beautiful flower. Flowers, what are they worth? They die two minutes later, right? But we love them. Some people love them, right? Uh, but it's basically a way of conveying, I'm not trying to bribe you. It's not something you're going to keep, but it's some level of beauty and some level of, 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 uh, of demonstrating uh, some fondness to him. Take the money and more money in your hand. Obviously, bring back the money that you have. Perhaps it was a mistake. Um, take your brother. Go and return to the man. And may God. And the word Shakai, Shadai, it has the letters Dai in it. Dai. Dai means what? Dai means enough. 
And the commentators say that Yaakov is invoking that name, that name of God is the name that is described when God was creating the world, he stopped at some point, right? There was an end to creation. That's Shaddai. There's an end. And Yaakov is invoking God, there has to be enough to my suffering. It's been too much. Let there be an end. Let there be an end point to my suffering. He invokes that name. Um, and he says, Yitin lechem rachamim, God should give compassion before the man. Veshilach lechem esachicham acher. And he should send back your other brother, Vespinyamin and Binyamin. Vani kasha shechalti, shechalti. If I'm, I'm to bereaved, I am to be bereaved. He's saying whatever happens, happens at this point. He says, I don't know. I'm going to try to do my best. But if it doesn't end well, it doesn't end well. It's interesting that he doesn't mention Shimon by name. Right? He says, bring back your other brother. Again, what does that sound about his relationship with Shimon? Not good again. What did Shimon do? Not that long, we have decades before. He's the one who wiped out the city of Shechem. Yaakov wasn't a fan of that, right? So there is some distance and friction when we think about who Yaakov wants to see him su- succeeded by. Shimon is clearly not in the running, right? Yaakov is clearly not uh, feeling connected. We'll see that more as we go on. Um, fine. Uh, and they took the tributes, and they took the money, and they went down to Egypt, and they stood before Yosef. So before we end, let's just do a quick summary. Yaakov, we know, what do we know about Yaakov right now? He's basically at the edge of despondency. Um, he is suspicious of the family, right? This is not an ideal sale. Let's really appreciate where Yaakov is at. He is, again, we saw some clear signs of him being suspicious of the family. We saw the family dancing around him. His last words, if I'm to bereaved, be bereaved, I'll be bereaved. He's basically almost thrown in the towel. He thinks it's almost all over. He doesn't know what's going to be. He's at the, the depths of despair. We saw Ruvain not demonstrating the greatest of leadership skills. Uh, we, we, but we did see Yehuda demonstrating what I would argue are clear leadership skills, not only by being persuasive, but understanding the issues and taking full responsibility for the situation. So what we're going to have to see is how this all plays out. Um, There's going to be a little bit of extra drama because we're going to have to take off. There's going to be next week and the week after. Unfortunately, there will not be a class. Um, I'm going to be at town. Uh, one of, it's just not going to work. So there will not be a class the next two Thursdays. But the third Thursday in February, we'll jump back into it and we will start to really, the story is really going to pick up um, and we'll see how this drama continues to unfold and we'll have to conclude for ourselves when we've all finished, what was Yosef thinking? And we'll have to rehash all those different options and we'll try to pull it all together.